Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. Hello, I'm your host, Mariana Sierra, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow El Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to United and Resilient. On behalf of our FRC, we want to wish you a very happy new year. We truly hope you had a good holiday season. We understand that these past holidays look a little different for many of us, but we're optimistic that the next season will bring all of our traditions and families together once again. After a challenging year, we're looking forward to 2021. As we welcome the new year, we'll continue to have conversations with local leaders and specialists that can provide guidance and tools for everyone. For this month's episode, we'll talk with one of our wonderful community partners, Deborah Grado. Deborah Grado is a local yoga instructor who provides gentle yoga sessions through our FRC. And throughout this episode, we'll discuss yoga and how it can benefit an individual's journey to long-term recovery. We'll also talk about why yoga can be considered a non-traditional therapy and how it can boost your mental health. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to United and Resilient. Hello, my name is Deb. I am a 500-hour registered yoga teacher through Yoga Alliance, um, but I've completed my certifications through local yoga schools and studios here in town. I have been teaching yoga since 2015, but I have been practicing since around 2008, so quite a long time, over a decade. Um, and I actually like to think of it as my yoga love affair. I started yoga back in 2008 when I was in the University of Houston attending college. And I, of course, like most people, expected I wanted yoga just for the stretch, the physical benefits of it. And so I took it at the local gym because it was part of the student package. And I would go for the stretching and right before the very end of class, which people think of as nap time, <laughs> uh, I would actually get up and leave. And now that I teach yoga, I realize that that part is the most crucial part. <laughs> and I look back at it and think, who was I for leaving? Um, but that's just where I was at the time. And so that was 2008. I would go purely, purely for the stretch. It would be my thing before a workout, after a workout. And then once I finished college and moved back here, a uh, local studio had opened up 
and I began to practice as a way to basically get grounded. The transition out of university and into, I guess, the real world <laughs> wasn't as easy as I expected. And with my degree, with things like that, things just weren't working how I expected them to work. And so this was back around 2012. And at that time, I decided, well, I'm just going to do more yoga. So I did more of it and the physical stuff. So the poses, the things that we know. And I immediately fell completely in love with it because I began to understand that it was more than just stretching, <laughs> more than moving. It started to give me this sense of calm. It made me more resilient. It made me grounded. It made me patient. It made me manage my stress. Basically, all the changes of life and everyday life, it helped me manage it. So then through that obsession, I began to work the front desk and eventually come 2015, the summer of 2015, I decided to get my first certification. I did my 200 hour and it's exactly that 200 hours worth of education. So think of it as like your associates of yoga. <laughs> Um, and so I did that. You learn the history, the origins, the background, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the meditation, every side of yoga because it is so complex yet so simple at the same time um, was studied. I finished my certification August 2015 and went right into teaching. I found myself with my office job and then the yoga on the side, practicing and teaching. And then slowly when the opportunities came to teach more, I kept saying yes and yes and yes. And the next thing I knew I was working my 40 hour job, but then teaching 10, 15 additional hours on the side. And I said, I think I'm going to let go of the day job and give yoga a shot. And I'll pick up a part-time job if I need it. And so going into 2018, I had left my day job, opened up my schedule thinking I'll get a part-time job, I'll teach yoga, and it'll be great. Uh, it turned out, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't need a part-time job and my schedule quickly became about 20 classes a week. Um, you would think teaching more means doing more, but it is teaching. And so my personal practice took a hit, but around that same time, I began to meditate. So 2017 was also when I started a meditation practice after attending a meditation retreat. Then the more I meditated, the more enhanced my teaching became, the more in tune with myself and others I was able to get along with the physical benefits. Now I was really getting the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual side. 10 years into my love affair from this thing that I used to leave early because I just wanted the stretch and not the nap time or to sit still with my thoughts <laughs> has now become the whole thing and the only thing I want to do. And so in 2019, I decided to get my advanced teacher training which added an additional 300 hours. So kind of like your master's of yoga. And thankfully, even through a pandemic, still get to teach yoga. 
Um, and so now I've been meditating for three going on four years, practicing for about 12 and teaching for six. Wow. That's wonderful. We're so excited to have you here, Deb. I was telling her before we started the interview that she always brings so much calm whenever I speak to her. And we're so lucky to have you at the FRC as one of our partners. So, um, and what you said at the beginning, it's really common. And I think it's the reason why I also got into yoga because I had, oh yes, this is going to be the perfect exercise because I've never been into, I've never been too much into exercise. So I'm like, yes, yoga is going to be perfect because it's calm and I'm going to be able to stretch and the flexibility and I'm going to get stronger. And it came with so much more than just like the basic idea, right? Of yoga, but it's so much more. So, Deb, I know you gave a lot of depth into your background, but to you, what is yoga? So yoga, um, in the traditional sense, if you were to define it, yoga means to yoke, and to yoke is to create union. So to simply put it, union between body, mind, and spirit. Yoga, for me, does represent that union of body, mind, and spirit, but it also creates this union between not only ourselves, but others. And so when I teach and wherever it is that I get to teach, it doesn't have to be a studio. It can be the FRC group. I used to teach cancer patients wherever the group was there is this sense of community, this union amongst each other, this support where you can go and these people, this practice will hold you wherever you are. Uh, and so that is exactly what yoga is to me. It is union in all of its forms, but it is also this incredible grounding force that provides so much mental support, uh, emotional release, stability, uh, and then, of course, the physical exercise. Awesome. Can you explain a little bit about the origins of yoga and how it came about here in the Western society? <laughs> um, so, of course, it is an ancient Indic practice. Um, gosh, it can date back to a couple hundred CE. It goes way, way back. Um, we can dig into that. However, that part, even through my study, it took me a while to really wrap my brain around it. But to simply put it before, so yoga has all of these different sides. In the Western world, we tend to know yoga as this physical practice, the poses, the stretches, the movement. Yoga itself actually has eight different limbs. Uh, so you do have the physical practice, the poses, the asana, which is the first limb that we know that we are most familiar with. Then what you also have are the yamas and the niyamas, which are limb one and two. The yamas and the niyamas are basically like the yogic code of ethics. Uh, there's 10 of them, five and five. And so those are the first two limbs limbs so basically the first two main phases of yoga then three is asana that physical practice the poses or pranayama and these words that i'm saying are in sanskrit so an ancient indic 
language, but they translate, of course, to English. And pranayama is your breathing techniques. And that's the fourth limb. Then fifth, you have pratyahara, which is sense withdrawal. Sixth is dharana, which is concentration. Then seventh is dhyana, which is a deeper form of concentration, like the meditation. And then samadhi is the total union, the bliss that you experience once all of these different limbs come together. So that's where, again, we can dive into it, but it gets really (laughs) complex. So to simply put it, we in the Western world understand yoga as this asana, this physical practice, but it is so much more than that, but it all still falls under the yoga umbrella. Way back when yoga, as we know it, the physical practice was created as a way for meditators to be able to sit longer. So the idea is you wake up in the morning, you meditate before the sun rises. And the goal was to sit in a comfortable seat, completely upright for an hour, but then they wanted it to be two, three hours. (laughs) And so can you imagine sitting comfortably and still for three hours <laughs> no way I I mean I at least I couldn't <laughs> and for us I mean even for me on a good day I can meditate for 20 30 minutes um but I can't imagine sitting for hours and completely upright no support no nothing and on the ground mm-hmm. so the physical practice of yoga came in as a way to get the body tired So that once you sit, you can stay still and sit focused and still longer. So basically, the physical yoga was created so that the meditation can be enhanced. Because meditation, we all hear about the magic and the wonders of it. And it truly is amazing. But it can be such a challenging practice. (laughs) It can be, yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that's where yoga, as we know it, was created. It was created so that the body can get exhausted. The mind also gets focused. And then that way, once you come to sit in meditation, you're more willing to say, okay, I'm tired. I'm just going to be still and recover. So now I want to talk about these misconceptions that yoga uh, sometimes has, right? So what do, you, what do you think are the most common misconceptions that people have of yoga? So what I run into a lot, um, I mainly work with seniors and then special groups. And of course, they think yoga and they see me and they're like, oh no, she's going to make us put our foot on our head, our arms <laughs> wrap around here. <laughs> and I feel like a big part of it is people think pretzel. I have to be able to twist into a pretzel. I have to be able to be flexible. And it's funny because then of course, some people say, man, I wish I could do yoga, but I tried it and I'm just not flexible. And that's the whole point. People, I think the biggest misconception is they think they have to be flexible. Right. But that's the point of the practice to learn and gain flexibility and strength. 
Um, it's not about twisting into a pretzel. <laughs> um, it can be the simplest poses and you can do the same ones over and over again and they're going to have the effect that they're supposed to have. I think one of the things that I love most about yoga is whenever I'm um, doing my practice and the yoga instructor, the all the yoga instructors that I've been the able to uh, work with, they always modify and they like, Hey, it's okay if you can't do this. And they make you feel so comfortable. But the first time that I went, like I told you, it was because of a birthday idea that my friend had and she was super flexible. So I had this misconception that I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, no, I'm not going to be able to do a headstand. I'm not, I'm just going to look ridiculous. But then I saw that most yoga instructors are so welcoming and they always modify things for me because I'm so dual, like <laughs> just <laughs> not flexible, but I always enjoy it. And I mean, for people out there who might have this misconception, please try it. And you'll see that that's the, like the least uh, thing you need to, to be able to enjoy your practice. Um, now, I want to get in a little bit into non-traditional therapy, right? Because we consider yoga at the FRC, we consider yoga as a non-traditional therapy, and we believe that um, it can definitely support traditional therapy. So why can body movement, such as yoga, be considered a non-traditional therapy? So, gosh, it, I mean, for me, it's already been so healing for the people I've worked with and for other people who try it, they, of course, say the same thing. Um, but yoga is a non-traditional therapy, I think mainly because it's unexpected how therapeutic and helpful it actually is. Again, like we've said, most people start with the stretching and the things like that, and then they end up staying because mentally, emotionally, they feel better. With yoga as a non-traditional therapy, again, there's just so many sides and the best way for me to put it is you think of the body-mind connection. And we are so much more than just our bodies, and we are so much more than just our minds. And yoga has this way of getting you to understand the both of them. You get to know your physical body through the movements. You get to know your mental and emotional body by what you feel through the movements and through the breathing. And then you combine the two and it creates this change, this ripple effect that not only deals with the body, but you also have the energy body because at the end of the day, we all are energy. We all are atoms, we're molecules, which those are energy. Right. <laughs> science behind it. Um, and so if you think of that, we are all the same thing. And so you come back to the energy and this ability that yoga has to understand the energy body and these different layers. And so you actually have in yoga, there are these things called koshas and there's five of them. So think of it, I like to think of it as those Russian dolls <laughs> that you open the big one and then the next one and the next one until you get to that little one at the end that we're always like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that itty bitty one in the middle, that core is bliss. And so that is the main idea is that deep at our core, deep at our center, we are all bliss. 
and not bliss in the sense of ecstatic joy, but bliss in more of the Eastern sense of the word, which is that ultimate knowing that everything will be okay. And so as you work through those layers, we'll actually start from the outer one. You have the physical body, the first layer, which is what yoga does. It starts with the physical body, the ones that people know, the ones that they're comfortable, familiar with. And so then once you work through that body and you get into the next layer, you have the energy body, which is the thing that you can't see, but you can feel it and you know that it's there. Then you have the next layer, the third one, the mental and the emotional body, which is where we, of course, through the movement, through the breath, we get to know and understand how to cope with our thoughts, cope with our emotions. And then once you get past that layer, you start to find your wisdom layer, which is your intuition, your gut, your instincts. And then finally, that final layer of bliss that's inside, that's what we want to get to. And then we want to make that layer grow. And so when it comes to yoga as a non-traditional therapy, getting through these layers and finding that inner little speck of light, that little speck of bliss, because it doesn't matter what size of it. We all have it. We just need it to grow. <laughs> oh, you make it so sweet. I'm telling you guys, she makes us, I always feel so calm when I speak to Deb. You, you put it so beautifully. I, I, I think I'm definitely in my first layer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay <laughs> but it's all good <laughs> um and actually uh I, I think I've shared this a couple of times before but my journey to healing and to practicing mindfulness and you know taking care of my mental health actually started with yoga so I'm so thankful for that friend who invited me to her yoga birthday party um, because yeah, like I said, right now I was there to do all the exercise and stretch and I was like, yes, I'm going to be so flexible again. Cause I used to be a ballerina mm-hmm. and I was so used to, you know, being very flexible and I lost that. So I was looking forward to that, but always my favorite part, my favorite part is the meditative part. And I remember my, my first practices and it was that time of the day where I could stop and actually listen to my body and listen to those needs that I had. And I initially thought that meditating and that meditation part of the practice was going to be like my brain was going to shut down and it was just going to be like me breathing, but it's not like those thoughts are still there, but it really helps your mental health as like, at least you stop for a minute and you're breathing and you're aware of what those thoughts are because we always have those thoughts, right? Running through our mind, but we never stop to listen to them. So exactly. Yeah. So I I guess that's the perfect segue to my next question, Deb. Um, What does research show about yoga for overall wellness? You know, how can it benefit our mental health and mindfulness? So, I mean, meditation in itself, is has shown to work wonders it can there's studies about how meditation regenerates blood cells and the 
chemicals that are produced. So through the physical movement of the yoga, the breathing and the meditating, the stillness, the body will create its own serotonin, that feel good love hormone, the oxytocin, the painkiller the dopamine, all of those chemicals will be created throughout the practice, throughout the meditation, through the breathing. And so the benefits of it, of course, you have the physical, you can gain the strength, the flexibility, the awareness of your body, balance. Balance is a huge, huge thing that people look for, Uh, especially as we get older. We don't want to fall and break something and get injured in some way. And so physical balance, (laughs) strength, body awareness, um, and those are just some of the physical benefits. So the body. But then when it comes to the mind, it helps with stress management, coping with confusion, anxiety, emotions, Um, frustration, finding peace and calm. It boosts self-esteem. It does improve relaxation, quality of sleep. And then, of course, it inspires the overall quality of life and connection, body, mind, spirit. And these are just some of the things, but the list of what it does can go on and on and on for all physical, mental, and emotional. And I know a lot of people right now, um, because of what we're, what's going on in the world, we are all uh, feeling those emotions. So definitely yoga and body movement can help us with that, right? Yes. So the physical body will hold on to its feelings, its emotions, if they aren't coped with. And so if we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotions, especially the uncomfortable ones, it's easy for us to feel the good things. But usually, especially in times right now, when things are challenging and they're hard, we say, nope, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to tuck it away. Maybe one day I'll deal with it. Then usually we explode like a volcano (laughs) or erupt in tears, something triggers us the smallest thing. Um, but if we don't feel or cope with these emotions, then they will physically manifest in the body. And that's usually where disease dis ease (laughs) will start from some sort of discomfort from inside. And especially when I work with cancer patients, that is where you can see a physical manifestation of some sort of emotional um, tie. And once we can cope and face that emotion through its discomfort, through its challenge, there is this ultimate liberation that comes from it. And that is where the healing can begin. But you have to be willing to dig into the shadows and the dark side and face that stuff head on, knowing that your breath will support you, the guidance of your instructor, of whatever it is that you're using, the tools are there to help through the coping, through everything to get you to persevere. This is United and Resilient. We'll be right back. My name is Tracy Yellen. I'm the CEO of the Paso del Norte Community Foundation and Paso del Norte Health Foundation. Where was I on August 3rd? 
It was the first Saturday of August. I was coaching my daughter's basketball team, and we had a 12 o'clock game in the Latino World End of Summer Tournament at Del Valle High School. And that's when we got a text that there had been a shooting and that law enforcement was asking people to shelter in place. At that point, we didn't know the extent of the shooting. Uh, my daughter's social media was blowing up with news of more than one gunman at multiple locations. Uh, so we turned on the TV and, and saw that the news stations were, were scrambling to, to organize the coverage and, and figure out what was happening. And it was really at that point that I had this deep sense of dread. My son was in California a few weeks from starting his freshman year at the University of Texas at Austin, and my husband was on his way to Portland, Maine, where his mother was in hospice. Um, she had passed away a few days later. Right away, I, I, I texted and called all of our staff to make sure they were okay and, and were sheltering in place. And I knew instinctively that there would be an outpouring of support, that people would want to help. So I called our board chairman, Hector Retta. He reached out to Dee Margo, the, the mayor of the city of El Paso. And we received calls from numerous council members and staff. And, and so within hours, we established the El Paso Victims Relief Fund in the Paso del Norte Community Foundation to provide financial support to victims and families in the wake of the tragedy. That afternoon, I went to the office and started receiving emails and texts and calls with such generous offers of support. The National Council on Foundations was incredible. Uh, they introduced us to CEOs of other foundations and our board members and staff were extraordinary. The generosity poured in with gifts large and small from individuals and families, corporations and foundations in El Paso, across the United States and, and really the world. And people started to give online immediately. Monday, uh, Willie Dogs, the owners came in and they had an envelope with the proceeds from all of their Sunday sales. The Tiguas organized and hosted a benefit concert. Bartenders gave their tips. Girl Scouts sold lemonade. There was a group of Navy veterans from the USS El Paso who took up a collection. Panda Express matched all gifts collected in their stores. People donated the proceeds from t-shirt sales and restaurant sales and tattoos. Um, Univision, Entrevision hosted a telethon. Corporations and foundations gave significantly. People gave blood. There were beautiful memorials created and really so many messages of solidarity and, and hope. We also established two funds to support the immediate and long-term educational needs of victims and families, thanks to the generosity of Community in Acción and their partners. So people were thinking, you know, immediately, but they were also thinking long-term. And, and really in those moments, in those first early moments, we became El Paso Strong. So to ensure that we had a transparent and, and coordinated process for distributing gifts, we worked with the City of El Paso and the El Paso Community Foundation to set up one fund, El Paso, to pool the philanthropic funds to support victims and families. We engaged the National Compassion Fund to help coordinate a public process to determine how the fund should be used, and we recruited an advisory committee to oversee the process. 
we immediately started distributing 500 and a thousand dollar gift cards and money orders to help families. We knew that they would have immediate financial needs and we wanted to make sure we were there to support them. In all, working as a community, we distributed $11.8 million to the 23 families that had lost a loved one, all who were physically injured, and hundreds who had suffered psychological trauma. The victims were our brothers and our mothers and our sisters and our colleagues and our friends. And I personally know that I will always carry the pain of this event, but also never forget the generosity and loving community and and really the hope that was created um, by so many in our community and beyond. For example, for you, Deb, I, I mean, I look at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's always so peaceful. But I know like you always have your you know, your struggles in life because we're human. How does yoga has helped you in your personal self-care practice? So it is a ritual. Um, I do. Yeah. I don't always like not every day, all day is rainbows, unicorns and butterflies. (laughs) Um, It takes effort. And, but also when it is a bad day, I let myself say, you know what, I'm mad or I feel sad or, okay, I'm going to feel this thing. Um, So my routine is to wake up in the mornings. And once I wake up, I actually set myself up and I try to meditate. Some days I am able to sit for five minutes. Some days it's 20 minutes. Some days it's more. Some days it's anywhere in between that. So every morning, at least during the week, over the weekends, I'll give myself a break. Um, I try to just sit. And even if I can't find the stillness or the space between the thoughts, because there's lots of stuff going on there, I'll still force myself to sit and breathe. Uh, The other thing I do, especially on bad days, but I should do it more often, (laughs) Um, journaling journaling has been my (laughs) go-to. You can write, write, write everything, say all the things you want to say, all the curse words, whatever it is that needs to come out. You just write it down. And then I always find once I've written it, I'm like, oh, that's what I was actually mad about. (laughs) Or, oh, now that actually did make me feel better. Now I can stop thinking about it. Now I can stop holding on to it. Um, And so that's usually my morning. And then somewhere throughout the day, I'll do some physical yoga. Fortunately, I teach. And since everything's online, that's where it comes in. If not, I do try to at least take a class. Mm, twice a week. If I can do more, great. If not, really any yoga is better than no yoga. And then every night before going to bed, and this one is something that I found incredibly beneficial. My husband and I do it. We have a little box that is our gratitude box. Yes. I can show you mine right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Practicing gratitude. Wow. (laughs) So every day at the end of the day, we say and write three things that we're grateful for. 
We try not to repeat them from the day before, but you can repeat them if you want. But three things that you're grateful for. And then if there's some way you can actively express your gratitude, we try to express the gratitude. And that has helped on days that were super anxious, days that it seems like everything's crumbling and there's no way that we'll survive. <laughs> um, we open the box and start to read. And then once you start realizing, oh, there's still so much to be grateful for and so much good in the midst of all of this, um, to see the glass half full versus half empty. And so, yeah gratitude box yes I have mine right there like behind me and just like you always right before bed I try to search like something that I'm grateful for and even though there's a pandemic going on and I still find a lot of things that I'm so grateful for and it helps me go to bed with my heart full if I was having like a rough day I then soon realized okay it's good. Like yes. we, we have it good. Um, oh my gosh. I, I'm so excited that you also have a gratitude. <laughs> we started it, it's probably been a year and it completely, my husband gets really bad anxiety and it's changed. It's made everything so much better. Well, there you go, guys. We <laughs> definitely recommend getting a gratitude box and using that technique that Deb has shared with us. Now, for someone that is out there listening and they're like, you know what, I've always seen the yoga classes in my local gym or right now that everything is virtual. I've seen that there's some instructors out there who are providing those classes online. How can I begin? What would you say to someone who's barely starting? What is their preferred style? Like, what are the first steps to take? So especially right now with online, um, you're going to look for anything that, of course, is gentle, uh, beginners friendly, maybe something that even just says stretch. Um, restorative would be great. A yin practice. And then as time passes, you can go into the flows. Um, of course, YouTube is full of videos, but then the FRC has right now, uh, I teach classes Tuesdays and Thursdays at 530. And those are all through Zoom. And so that would be a great one to start with. Uh, anything that, of course, seems introductory. I would also say because there is so much available online, if someone were to try one and they're like, this is awful. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. Or what am I doing here? I don't, she said that I didn't have to be a pretzel. Well, this teacher is asking me to be a pretzel, <laughs> um, to try others because there really is so, so much out there. And yoga is not a cookie cutter type thing. Every teacher has the ability to add their personality to the class. And so every class is going to be different. Um, so yeah, they can definitely try online, but anything that's beginners, introductory, basics, gentle, stretch, restorative, and then make your way to the flows. Right. And how um, can that, they understand the difference? Because when I first started, I remember there was like this big calendar and it was a yoga studio specifically. So I was like, Wait, what is flow? What is gentle? What is like 
heated. And I'm like, what are all these options? Like, how can uh, someone who's starting understand a little bit about all the difference that there is? So hatha might be another word that you see. Um, but so we'll start with flow. Uh, flow or vinyasa typically is a set of poses linked together. So you literally go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and then you repeat it on the opposite side of the body uh, to create more of this flow state versus this like hold, next, hold, next. Um, And so, yes, flow is that. Then you, of course, have your stretch, your yin-like classes, which are more static, and you'll hold the shape and let the body work into it with the support of the breath. Uh, Restorative is one that I absolutely love and can be extremely delicious, but it does require willingness to be able to sit with yourself and with your mind. Um, Restorative postures and classes are all supported. So you basically find these ways to get into shapes that are comfy. Everything is done on the ground and you will hold each one for anywhere from three to five, seven minutes. And so again, being willing to sit in the stillness. Then you of course have like your gentles, which can be a little flowy, a little static, kind of a combination of the two. Um, and then you do have the advanced, the hot, the heated classes that are more pretzel-like, where you'll see the arm balances, the headstands, the handstands, all of those things. Um, and it just, again, really depends what people are looking for. But there's so much variety out there that depending what someone's looking for, they'll be able to find it. Now. My next question, and I think this is also for like people who are thinking about starting yoga, what can they expect from a first session? So in a first session, you'll, of course, like I said, there's sometimes these words like asana, pranayama, viravadrasana. Um, they can expect to probably hear that language, that Sanskrit language, which is the names of the poses in their origin. And so sometimes that's something that will throw people off because they'll hear it and they'll be like, that's not English. Maybe it's Spanish. No, that's not Spanish either. (laughs) And so I've seen faces where they're just like, what? Or even with kids, you say Utkatasana, which is chair pose. And they're like, what is that? (laughs) And so sometimes it's the language that it's in. Um, Not all teachers will use it, but that can be something that people will run into, but it's not meant to be discouraging. Um, Of course, you'll open. Typically, you will see some breathing introduced, some deep breath awareness, and then you'll move through the poses throughout the middle of it, sometimes matching the breath with it. And towards the end, as things start to cool down, you rediscover the breath, and you work your way into Shavasana, which is the lovely, <laughs> everyone's favorite, but the one that I used to leave for, um, final pose, the nap time, where you lay on the ground and things just seal themselves in. And one of the things that I'm, I was wondering about, and I wanted to get your input about this, Deb, uh, because of the pandemic, most body movement classes have gone virtual, as we mentioned. 
I'm taking virtual classes to to get myself active because I'm always sitting at a desk. So I'm like, no, I get I need to be active, right? I need to um, work on my uh, physical health as well. Um, can I still receive the benefits through a virtual yoga session as in a person yoga session? Yes. So they, of course, are different. Um, some people have taken really well to online learning. My senior groups, it is amazing how much more they had advanced learning from home than we ever did while we were in person. Uh, I don't know if part of it is being in a place that co that's comfortable versus in a group and uh, somewhere out of their comfort zone. But yes, some people have really adapted well to online learning, but there are also others that have tried online and they're like, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> Staying motivated to be through a one hour class can be challenging if your home is especially full of family and furries and all of these things running around. However, the benefits, yes, they are the same. Um, because everything that would be offered in person will be offered through virtual. I find that through virtual learning, well, and you can't see it because we're audio, but um, in my yoga room, when I teach online, I can tell people, you know what, grab a chair because I want us to work on a more challenging balance pose, but I want you to have the support of something so that we can actually get into it or use your wall and let's do this. And so that has been nice to be able to access the use of props that wouldn't have been available in a group setting. Um, some, what I also do try to do sometimes is let them, since everyone gets on mute, I say you can put your own music, maybe light some candles, make it a whole experience for yourself at home. Don't just make it something that Okay, I'm just going to turn it on, get my exercise in, and then we'll be good. I did my yoga. <laughs> Make it, it's a self-care routine. It is literally a gift for yourself, and so you deserve it. Make it special for you. And then you can really, yeah, even while at home, still get the mental, emotional um, benefits that along with the physical. Right. And like you said, make it I, what I always like whenever I'm, I'm in a session is when the instructor says, make it your practice. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's so empowering. So I'm going to take your tip because I never I always go outside, but I'm going to make it a little bit cozier for me uh, because after all, it is my practice and it's it, it's my own you know little room where I can go to and and be with myself. Now, my next question would be, and right now that you mentioned the share reminded me, how do you tailor sessions to participant needs? You said you work with elderly, and I know you have experience with share yoga. Um, so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you have that communication with your participants? So if, for example, there's someone, I have a woman who's 84 years old and we do yoga one-on-one -on -one through Zoom right now and she can't get on the floor. So we pull out the chair and we sit face-to-face -face and we do the same poses you would do standing just with the support of the chair. The same, a sun salutation, but 
modified to be in a chair. And so if there's people who can't get on the ground due to their bodies being a certain way, then yeah, you can easily grab a chair. You can use the wall. Um, there's just different ways to go about it. The thing is, if someone does have special uh, modifications or adjustments that they need, it is their responsibility to let the instructor know. Um, sometimes, yeah, if they have their camera on and I can see, oh, <laughs> that's not really working for them. And I do try to check in at the beginning of each class uh, or ask that they contact me prior if they do want to let me know about something going on then we do that. If they have their camera off, then I just trust that they are doing what is safe for their body, not pushing it past it. But yes, using chairs, using straps if people have them. But if not, that's where they grab a belt because it makes their arms longer so they can grab their feet. Um, grabbing pillows to support twists, things like that. Um, there's from being home, i been able to come up with many ways for people to support themselves. Awesome. So there you go. You don't have to have all this like wonderful flexibility. And yes. I mean, anyone can do it. Anyone, even like elderly. And I'm so happy that you have that experience and that you can provide that to our wonderful elderly community members. How can um, yoga and body movement help individuals who were impacted directly or indirectly by a tragedy like August 3rd? So yoga, just like that, and I mentioned earlier how there is this mind-body connection. There is also physical, emotional body, energy bodies. All of this is connected. And people who have faced tragedy or have trauma, we, the breathing, is a huge, huge tool. I am reading a book and I love what it said. And it said that as humans, we experience every emotion through our breath. So what happens when you're stressed? What happens when you're angry? What happens when you're sad? What happens when you're happy? The breath changes. And if we can learn to understand and navigate our breath, we can learn to understand and cope with our emotions. And that is so true and profound. Uh, and that all just starts with breath awareness. And with yoga, breath, breathing awareness of breath is huge. And once you can start to tap into that breath and understand how to utilize it so that it isn't just this thing that the body's always doing in the background, but this tool that you're using to cope with whatever it is you're going through, whatever tragedies you faced, you find this ability. One, you can step into your power. You can face those things that are uncomfortable and you can become liberated from them. Then you add the physical movements, which in themselves can boost confidence. They create strength along with the breath. Then it really enhances and helps, like I said earlier, the body will hold on 
to trauma, to stress, to emotions in different parts. For example, we all know what it feels like to be stressed because we usually it's in the shoulders and in the neck. (laughs) But if we can move the body, then we can release, physically release that. It won't be forever, but it's a release by any means. And so the same thing happens with trauma and it happens with deeply embedded emotions. They can be dealt with. And then, of course, learning, especially through tragedy, being able to sit in stillness is really hard in general. But then being able to sit in stillness when you're dealing with trauma is almost like a nightmare come to life. (laughs) And with the ability of the physical movement, the breathing, and then slowly being able to find your own strength, your own comfort, all from inside of you. Because yes, as the teacher, I am guiding and teaching the techniques, but ultimately you are the one doing them. You're the one adding these tools to your toolbox so that even when you're not doing the yoga, you're still doing the yoga so that when you're at your desk or when you feel the anxiety or something coming up, you can say, okay, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to breathe. I'm going to get my head straight and then I'll come right back. Now, if someone is interested in joining one of your yoga sessions through our program, what are the next steps that they should take? So they can contact the FRC Uh, And I'm sure the information will be listed in the description. They can contact the FRC and ask, hi, I'm interested in the community yoga with Deb. And they will be given the information to join the yoga class. It is currently being held on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. on Zoom. So easily accessible to everyone. Just you need internet and some sort of a device to connect you. Uh, if they would rather speak to me before taking the class, then by all means, my information will be accessible through the FRC so they can contact me. Uh, if they do want to find me on social media, it's Deb Grabo. Um, and usually they'll know because it's full of yoga pictures. <laughs> um, and they can contact me and I can pass them the information. But Contacting the Family Resiliency Center would be best. Um, And again, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5.30, and we gather for an hour. Wonderful. And we, like I said at the beginning, we're so lucky to have you as one of our partners. Um, Trust me when I say that, Deb, she's wonderful. Like, I really enjoyed all the times that I've been, like, watching you do your practice. Now, my last question, and to close up the episode that would be, what is the message of hope you would like to give to our community? Message of hope. So positive affirmations are a huge part of my practice. Uh, And again, thinking of that gratitude, training the mind to look at the glass half full versus empty. And so I am strong, I am resilient, and I am here tend to be my go-to affirmations because strength is something that we have all the time. Even when we feel weak, it is possible to be or feel weak and still have a warrior spirit. It is still possible to be confused and broken, but to see the light shining through all those broken pieces, to gather back up and to be resilient. 
And I am here reminding us to be present because whatever's happening is only going to be temporary in the grand scheme of things. And so, yes, I am strong. I am resilient. And I am here. Wonderful. Well, that was a beautiful way to end this. So thank you, Deb, so much for being here at United and Resilient. It was wonderful having you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for listening today. We hope this content serves you and your loved ones as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do not forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC. To learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery, please join us on the next episode.